Welcome to the Mama Bear Apologetics Podcast. A podcast where we teach you to roar like a mother. And by roar, we mean recognize the message, offer discernment, argue for a healthier approach, and reinforce these ideas with your kids. Unless you want to growl around your house. I mean, that's cool too. <laughs> You're like, check it, we keep it reels. <laughs> that's so bad. You're awesome. Mama Bear Apologetics is a listener-supported program, so if you like what we do, head on over to the Mama Bear Apologetics website and click support. It's time to rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. Welcome to another episode of Mama Bear Apologetics. I'm Hillary Ferrer, and we have a new guest with us today because if you've been wondering why we've been a little bit silent lately, Amy is having all sorts of massive problems with her computer and we have not been able to record. But thankfully, uh, the Lord has provided so many amazing women in apologetics. And I want to introduce you to a friend of mine, Trisha Scribner. So uh, Trisha is a grandmama bear. And so we're hoping to bring her in more with mama bear apologetics, just to give that perspective from a grandmama bear. So uh, Trisha, tell us a little bit about yourself, just uh, your your experience with apologetics. Well, I got interested in apologetics uh, probably about 20 years ago. And actually, it was way longer ago than that, but from a different perspective in college, whenever my faith began to be questioned, mm. I was looking for reasons for believing what I believed. And I had a strong theological background, but I didn't have the answers as to why I believed what I believed. Mm-hmm. And so I believe it was Josh McDowell's first evidence that demands a verdict. That way was back mine in the too. 1980s. Yeah. The one that was the today. note form. I love the yeah. note form of that one. Yeah. I kind of wish they still had it like that, but oh well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we need to get them to follow our, our recommendation. Huh? Yes, exactly. So um, it, that book, what it did was it let me know that there were thinking Christians out there who, if I didn't know the answers, that there were answers. Mm-hmm. And so then it faded into the background for many, many years. And I went through nursing school and master's degree in nursing. And then I started heading a different direction. I'd always wanted to go to seminary. But whenever we got to Charlotte, I finally found uh, a seminary where apologetics undergirded everything. Mm-hmm. And so I, w- I went there and got my master's and then just finished my PhD. And I decided way before, before, right at the beginning of getting my master's in apologetics, that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And all my nursing and biological sciences just sort of slipped right in as part of the foundation for my reasoning and thinking. And I then uh, got the doctorate in, a, in philosophy of religion and I'm just committed to helping parents and grandparents, people like me to understand the good reasons that we have for the Christian faith. If I really thought that there was another worldview that explained mm-hmm. reality better than Christianity, I wouldn't be a Christian. Absolutely. And so I, I'm a Christian and I think I've got good reasons for being a Christian. Apologetics helped me to recognize those reasons and be able to bring them forth as part of my testimony and witness for the Lord. And I want to share it with kids. I want to be able to talk to my grandbabies. And that's what I want to do with the PhD is be able to talk well to my grandbabies about Jesus and the reasons for believing in him. 
Mm-hmm. And just as a reminder for a lot of the mama bears, you don't have to have a PhD to do this. It's like, I think that the Lord called you to do that just so that you would be able to uh, contribute in the ways that you're contributing. But you know what? It's like, uh, you do not need a PhD. You don't even need a bachelor's in order to follow what, uh, what we're going to be talking about. And so uh, well, we, Hillary, let me let me say one thing there. Yeah. I uh, went in terms of the Ph.D. Um, that that um, it's important, I think, that women recognize that just because we have education in this arena doesn't make us smarter than any other woman. I can I have to go to another woman to help her figure out my bank account. <laughs> I can't I can't do that. I, there are many things I can't do. Mm-hmm. They're not my area. It just so happens that for you and me, our study and our passion has been in this area. And so yeah. I can go get a woman to help me with my bank account, a friend, and I can help her with this. So it's just what we have to offer, what yeah. we're studying, what we're learning so that we can be better prepared to share Christ. And I think you and I both came at it from the same perspective in that our goal in studying this is to help other women who maybe don't have the time to do this so that the, uh, they they can do this with their kids and they don't have to put in the hours of study that we're doing that we can help kind of distill it down in a way that's that's easy to digest and that they can do with their kids you know today tomorrow um so today's topic and we're actually going to try to do a series on this we've been talking about mama bear's been talking about doing a series on this basically since like episode one and two and you know we're coming uh, up to the easter season i thought you know what we need to do it we need to talk about the evidences for the resurrection. Uh, And so Trisha and I today are going to be going through basically the, it was basically the earliest creed that we think has ever existed in Christianity, which is from 1 Corinthians 15, that talks about what is first importance of the gospel. And the resurrection is absolutely of first importance. So I'm just going to give you an overview of what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, We're going to read through the whole passage First uh, Corinthians 15, 1 through 19, that's going to be long, but you know what? We can't, we can't get enough scripture. So this is like basically the foundation of Christianity. So we're going to kind of give that overview from scriptures. Then we're going to talk about what are some of the foundational assertions that we need to believe in order to talk about the resurrection. So um, anyone who's heard me give uh, some of the talks on the two-spit-roar method, I talk about these are some of the things that we need to believe in in order for the gospel to even make sense. We're just going to kind of give a brief overview of that. Uh, And then we're going to go through this passage just kind of not line by line, but take the main points here. What are the main points that they're trying to make? The first main point they're trying to make is that the resurrection is of first importance. Basically, if we don't have the resurrection, um, like if there's nothing else that you get in Christianity, this is what you need to get. Uh, Next, we're going to talk about uh, what is of first importance. So they're saying this, you know, this is the summary statement. What we're going to talk about is of first importance. But what is it exactly that's of first importance? So we're going to go through the basics of what we really need to believe in order to call ourselves Orthodox Christians. Um, And then we're going to go through basically what is Christianity without the resurrection? Like, why is this so important? And I call this the I pity the fool section uh, because, you know, it basically says that we're to be regarded as fools at the end of this passage. So those are the main things that we're going to be going through today. Um, so Trisha, would you like to start out just by reading that entire passage for us? Sure. So we're in first Corinthians chapter 15 verses one through 19. I'll be reading from the ESV version. Just follow along in your version. 
Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Now this is Paul speaking. Mm -hmm. Which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> oh, this is such a rich passage. Um, and so let's let's break this down. Um, so first off, we want to talk about what are some the foundational assertions. So it's like before we even start in on this conversation, there's a couple of unstated assertions that we have to believe in order to have this conversation in the first place. And so the first Mama Bear book goes through the first one, um, and that's this idea that truth exists. Um, one of the big things in our society right now is this idea that, you know, there, there's no absolute truth, that, you know, you have your truth, I have my truth. If truth does not exist, then we can't say that this passage is true. And so we don't have time to go into this. That's why we're going to say these are some of the unstated assumptions that we have to believe are true in order to even have this conversation. Um, so we might discuss these at some other point in another podcast. But for the purpose of this podcast, we need to believe that truth exists. Um, Trisha, what's another one that we need to, to believe in well, order to... If truth exists, then we can offer an argument that we assert is true that a personal creator God exists. Yes. Okay, so this kind of God that is separate from the universe, but at work in the universe. Mm -hmm. And so that's the second one. And then, then uh, the Bible is reliable. That is, especially the New Testament scriptures are trustworthy and that we believe that we have what they wrote mm -hmm. and that the writers were trustworthy. Now, this doesn't mean that uh, the truth of the historical event of the resurrection is dependent upon the truth of the scriptures. Yes, it's exactly. Not. But there are extra biblical sources for the resurrection. However, the details of the resurrection 
are we get that information mostly from these documents that have been compiled into the new into the New Testament written by first century believers. Yeah, I would I would add to that this idea that uh, we're not using saying the the Bible has to be true in order to believe in the resurrection, but what the Bible says about the resurrection and what the resurrection means. That's what we're saying. Basically, we have to believe that when it says that this is of first importance because this is the way to salvation. That's the point. This It's this theological point that this is necessary for salvation. That's the thing that basically we have to take the assumption on. As we'll discuss maybe at some other point, there's something called the minimal facts, where it's it's basically evidences for the resurrection or just um, not, not for the resurrection, but the facts surrounding Christ's resurrection that even skeptical, non-Christian, atheist historians will, will agree with. And so we we don't necessarily need to start with the Bible in order to say this was a historical event that happened. However, in order to say this historical event that happened means that this is of first importance and this is what we need in order to be a Christian, that we do have to trust the Bible on. And that's, you know, just kind of the way it works. It's like, um, if the Bible is true, then what it says about theology is true, but not necessarily the resurrection. I hope that makes sense. Um, and then the last one, I thought this one was a good one, the idea that miracles are possible. So unpack that one a little bit for us. Yeah, the good news is we don't have to spend a lot of time arguing for that if a personal creator God exists. Yeah. If a personal creator God exists, then miracles, that is his supernatural intervention into the normal patterns we call natural law to make himself known and to confirm his message in a messenger, it's got to be possible. Science can't rule it out because science doesn't deal with that singularity mm-hmm. uh, event called miracles. But miracles, if this God exists, must be possible. Now, that doesn't tell us whether the miracle claims of the New Testament are true. Yes. We have to examine those on their own merit, and mm-hmm. we certainly do. But it certainly tells us that they can't be ruled out as impossible or fantastical mm-hmm. or drawn from a weak person who has to believe in magic. They yeah. aren't. They have good support. Yeah. Yeah. Because this idea that it's like sometimes people approach this with the belief already that miracles are impossible. And mm-hmm. then they try to talk about the resurrection. Basically, you've just made it so you can't even talk about the resurrection. So these are all things that could probably all use their own podcast. There's books written on these. We don't have time to go into them. But in order for us to say why the resurrection is important, we got to believe that truth exists. We got to believe that God exists. Uh, that the Bible is true and what it says about salvation and that miracles are in theory possible if, you know, this creator God exists. So those are just kind of our things that we have to just assume in order to have this discussion. Again, they could be their own discussion in themselves. Um, But let's let's return to this passage where we're talking about um, a creed that was created. This is what, when we say a creed, we're talking about Something that the early church, since they didn't have a, you know, they, they they didn't have computers, they couldn't just type stuff up. They had scribes. There was just a limited availability for things that were written down. And so they had to basically pass things on through oral tradition, meaning this is something they repeat over and over again. Like what one of the things our church does every single Sunday is we recite the Lord's Prayer. And so that that would be kind of almost like a creed that we do. We've got the Apostles' Creed, the, the Nicene Creed, all these different things that kind of summarize theology into an easy to remember bite-sized thing. So that is what this is. This goes back to the very, like with it, how many years, like post-resurrection do they guesstimate? Is it like five to seven years or something like that? For 
uh, for for this creed, how how early it started? Oh, I cannot remember. I, I'm sorry, I can't remember, but I do remember it was right. It was yes, within a few years. Yeah, uh, that the the supporting underlying documents, what it seems to refer to, um, is very close to the time of the actual resurrection event. And I'm yeah. sorry, I don't recall the specific number of years. Yeah, I don't. I, it's somewhere between five and 15. So this idea that people sometimes have that this idea of Jesus dying for sins and him being Lord and all this stuff was a legend that grew, you know, after decades after the event. The fact that we have this creed within, you know, a decade of the events tells us this was not this was not a legend that grew. This is something that was there from the very beginning. Um, so I'm going to start back of, of this idea of first importance, what Paul says where he says, I, I now remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received. So this is Paul saying, "What? pay attention to what I'm about to say. This is of first importance, meaning if you're going to be a Christian, these are the things you really need to believe. We can debate over all these all these different things, but these are the very basics that we have to believe because they are of first importance. And um, as we're going through this series, I just want to remind our mama bears that our kids will only be as bold in their faith as they are convinced that it's actually true. I'm going to say that again. Our kids will only be as bold in their faith as they are convinced that it's actually true. And this is one of the reasons why we're going through this series on the resurrection is if the resurrection is of first importance, then our kids need to be able to robustly say, I believe this is true. Um, so Tricia, you talked about there was a pamphlet by Norm Geisler, like about why is this of first importance? What are, why don't you summarize some of the points that he makes in there? Yeah, Norm Geisler, uh, probably the greatest theologian or among the greatest of the 20th century and on into the 21st century. He makes the point that the resurrection is the heart of the gospel. This is the same point that Paul makes. If Christ did not rise, there is no Christianity. Many people talk about the ways that religions are similar. Huh. Love your neighbor as yourself. And they say all religions have the same core beliefs. But no, no, that's a peripheral result of our core belief that Jesus, that we are sinners. Jesus died on the cross. He paid for our sins in our place. We can trust him and receive eternal life. That's a core belief. And that is the distinguishing belief of Christianity. So it's the heart of the gospel. And in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it also says that believing in the resurrection is a condition for salvation. That is to be made right with God through faith in Christ. Because it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's a heart of the gospel. It's a condition of salvation. And it's our eternal hope as Christians, because this is the thing that people forget. Whatever happened to Christ's body in the resurrection, changing from its uh, original state to the glorified state. That is our hope and guarantee. Mm -hmm. That's the same thing that's going to happen for us. And Philippians 3.20 says, we await Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, still flesh, 
but glorified immortal flesh. Can I just add That's to our that? Hope that because of the resurrection. <laughs> I am super excited about that. I am so ready to get rid of this body that has not really treated me very well. To me, like some people don't understand why that is such a glorious hope. And I just want to say for all of those out there who have chronic health conditions, we understand what a glorious hope this is. I was just saying those are the main things that he he, he said. Uh, if, if that you want to get into their mind, heart of the gospel, condition of salvation, source of hope for Christians. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So let's continue on in this passage. So he he's already saying this is a first most important. So what exactly is a first most important? So uh, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. So there's a couple of things that I kind of highlighted in this as to if we were to summarize, what are the main things? I would say, number one, that Christ died for our sins. (laughs) Number two was that he was buried, three raised, uh, four, that this fulfilled prophecy that it kept saying accordance with the scriptures and accordance with the scriptures. Uh, And finally, that there's evidence for this. And I think this is one of the things that people kind of miss out on, the fact that he's saying, look at this, why, you know, back then they had eyewitness testimony. That was their evidence. Uh, we have more at our disposal in terms of, you know, we don't have the eyewitness testimonies personally, um, but we have the records of them. We have records of non-biblical sources talking about these events. We have a lot of evidence. And so, but one of the things I think that people miss is that one of the things that's of first most importance is understanding that there is evidence for these things. This is not something we need to take on blind faith. So um, again, we're going to talk through each of these, this idea that Christ died for our sins. Now, this is something that has actually been, um, golly, this is a hot mess right now, especially in terms of progressive Christianity, that people do not like saying that Jesus died for our sins. Um, There's a whole bunch of other things that they, they think that that just sounds too mean. It sounds like God's a vengeful God, all these different things. So, um, Trisha, what are some of the things that you've heard people saying that instead of saying basically Jesus was an atoning sacrifice that paid for our sins, what are some of the explanations they're saying instead? Yeah, so sometimes we hear things like Jesus set a good example. He laid down his life for his friends, sort of the (laughs) martyrdom Mm -hmm. thing, or that he was a victim of circumstances and something bad happened to a good person, yes. but he's not God. So they they really make him just another martyr, but anyone can die for another person, but that doesn't guarantee what he's claiming that he guarantees. And that is a right relationship with God through him standing in my place mm-hmm. and receiving the justified, holy wrath of a holy God against my sin. Mm-hmm. And through believing in him, that is trusting what he did for me as enough, as all that needs to be done, that he is God in the flesh and that he paid for my sins and rose from the dead, that I can receive a right relationship with God. Mm-hmm. So these, this is an unusual claim. It's not a mere example. It's not a victimization. He said, no one took my life from me. I laid it down willingly. Yeah. So these kind of uh, assertions... Um, don't really hold water. Have you heard of any others? 
anything else come to mind? Well, the one that you just said about, uh, you know, I willingly lay down my life that goes there. There's this theory called divine or cosmic child abuse. This idea that, um, you know, God was the one who demanded that Christ died and it's like cosmic child abuse, but that verse itself, you know, Jesus is saying, I lay it down of my own accord. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's like, I hear people talking about, you know, the people just needed their pound of flesh. It's like, he was showing how to submit to unhealthy rulers and authorities. There's all sorts of things. There's, um, trying to remember the name. I think it's the book is called pierced for our transgressions, where it goes through all these different things that people try to say about Christ's death, you know, other than the idea that this was to pay for sins because people, this is where, who who said it the other day, I was listening to Mike Winger and he said something along the lines of, we are not here to be God's PR department. This idea that a holy God having wrath against sin that needs to be appeased. This is what scripture teaches, even though that doesn't sound very palatable to, to our, you know, our, our current day things. And so people try to like change it to where, well, you know, no, it was, it was actually this, it was just Jesus showing how to love others, even unto death. It's like this idea of there being a holy God and sin separating us from him. And there having to be a payment of death. That's just like not very popular. But we're seeing, as Paul talks about here, this is of first importance. So mama bears, if you're, if you even are hearing from the pulpit, if you're hearing from your children's curriculum, if you're hearing from your children's Sunday school, that there was any reason other than pain for our sins as the reason that Christ died, this is a first missed importance. You need to raise a stink about this. This is something, and, and we don't need to go into, you know, some people go too far where they scare kids with all these, you know, oh, you deserve hell, fire, and damnation. I think Elisa has stories. I think it was Elisa that I saw that has stories about like her second grade teacher talking about people burning in hell forever. That's not what we're trying to do either. That's, you know, that that's a different kind of child abuse, but it's like, there's a way to say the truth without scaring kids um, in this anyway. So like, if you're hearing anything else other than that Jesus died to pay for sins, then this is a first most importance and you need to reject whatever it is they're saying and maybe point to this passage. You um, know, it's interesting, Hillary, that um, we really don't want a, a God of justice. Mm-hmm. We want a God of mercy for ourselves. For ourselves, But we yes. always want a God of justice and for him not to wink at some evil that someone else does. Mm-hmm. So we really tell on ourselves, don't we? Yeah. That we desire mercy for ourselves. I didn't really mean it. I rationalize it. Um, I shouldn't be punished that bad for it. I'm yeah. better than so-and-so. My and, sin's not and that God bad. Says, <laughs> yes. You, compared to who else? Yeah. yeah. So, But when we compare to holy God, then we understand Romans 3 is correct, that we're just all sinners in Isaiah 53. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. I don't think it's Isaiah 53, that is Isaiah. Uh, Righteousness is as filthy rags. So we want justice for others who do wrong, but we want mercy for ourselves. And so Mm -hmm. just think of a God who just winked at some of the the most horrible thing you can think of that someone has done. Yeah. And just winked at it and said, I'll give him a pass. Yeah. What kind of God would that really be? Mm-hmm. Not one worthy of our worship. No, definitely not. Uh, so the other thing that is in here is it actually says this twice, um, according to the scriptures. 
Mm-hmm. So uh, there's the passage where Jesus talks about basically the entire Old Testament is pointing towards him. Now, there's a couple of different things that um, resources that I recommend for this. So one of them is uh, Jeannie Jones uh, Bible study, along with a couple other ladies where um, I think it's Christ in the Old Testament, where it, ta- it shows all these different passages that point to Christ. Um, my friend uh, Kate, uh, Kate Hawks just came out with a book that is um, got 40 different conversations about basically Jesus throughout the Old Testament. These are like really short devotions that you can do with kids. I highly recommend it. We'll have a link in the podcast notes for that. Um, showing how Jesus is all throughout the Old Testament. And so this idea that the scriptures are prophesying to, to that, that is one of the things that um, I think this was especially a first, first most importance for the Jews um, because that, that passage, the Old Testament is what their theology was based on. And unless they could see how uh, this wasn't a whole new, different revelation that was like a different thing, that this was a continuation that was prophesied over and over and over again in their scriptures for them, that was a non-negotiable. Now we have the benefit that we, we accept both of those, but at the time they needed to know that they were not basically uh, jettisoning uh, their, their entire religion, that this was what their own scriptures talked about. Uh, so that's another one. And then this one where he talks about, then he appeared and it keeps listing all these deep, different people that he appeared to. The word that I come, come to think about this is evidence this idea that they were providing evidence. So again, like our first things that Christ died for our sins, any other reason is not Christianity, um, that he was buried, that he was raised, um, that it was prophesied in scripture and that there is evidence for this. And this is what we're going to be talking about probably in subsequent podcasts here, but we need to be sharing with our kids that there is evidence to believe this. In fact, I remember the first time when I heard all the evidences for the resurrection, I remember, and I talk about this, I think in the first book, my little 12 year old bl- uh, brain just got blown. And I realized, oh my gosh, I don't believe this just because the pastor says so, or my parents say so like, this is objectively true. It changed my faith forever. And I, it, it's like, if it happened with me, it can happen with your kids. So again, we need to be providing them the evidence for this. Um, So this kind of the summary for this whole thing, and we're going to wrap it up with this, is the idea that there is no Christianity without the resurrection. I'm going to read this one last passage. And again, I call this I pity the fool section, Uh, you know, like Mr. T. Uh, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it's not true that the dead are not raised. So I'll just kind of have a side thing. There, there was a group of people called the Sadducees who didn't believe that there was going to be a final resurrection. So that's kind of what Paul's addressing here. Um, that if they didn't believe that there was any resurrection from the dead, why should they believe that Jesus was resurrected? So that's what he's kind of addressing here. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Your faith is futile. <laughs> Uh, And you are still in your sins. Again, you're still in your sins because the purpose of Christ's death was to atone for sins. Uh, Then also those who have fallen asleep have perished. And um, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we're of all people most to be pitied. So basically he's saying, if this isn't true, pity the fool, because we are basically giving up our lives in the here and now in order to preach this thing that promises that we're going to have resurrection like Christ was resurrected.
So that's Trisha. It's just amazing to to see Paul's reasoning here. Mm-hmm. Um, because if the dead are not raised, Christ can't be raised. If Christ can't be raised, your faith is useless. And what's the consequence? You're still in your sins. What an awful thought. Yeah. I think of all the people in the world and the hope that they have. Not a single other world religion offers this hope mm-hmm. that affirms the mess we're in and the mess we've made. Yes. And our unrighteousness before holy God. And in the same breath, the remedy mm-hmm. that God Himself, who is the judge, mm-hmm. provides by becoming me, the defendant. Mm-hmm. There's, no, there's nothing more beautiful. No God that's presented in any other religion. No means of salvation that is as precious and wondrous as the Christian faith presents. I agree. Uh, that's, uh, I was talking with someone the other day and we were saying, like, what would you say if someone asked, what is the reason why you're a Christian? And you know, aside from the idea that, you know, I believe that this is what the evidence point to points to one of the things that I said is I believe the Christian worldview makes the most sense of reality. Basically, it helps me to see reality clearer, and it makes sense of what I see, what I experience, the things that are hard, the things that are good. It makes sense of all of it. Um, and that is what we're trying to pass on to our kids. And again, a first most importance is the resurrection. So Trisha and I are going to continue on this series. This was kind of an overview of why we are, um, why we are going into the idea of the resurrection, because it is a first most importance. And in subsequent episodes, we're going to be talking about um, maybe some of the minimal facts. What are some of the things that even skeptics agree on? We're going to go into what is basically all the different, um, what are some of the, the, the different, uh, theories that other people have postulated of what happened instead of the actual resurrection. Um, and yeah, we're just going to go through each of those that like it, I was rereading my paper that I did for my resurrection class in grad school. And one of the things that I kept coming to is basically every single explanation requires a different type of miracle. So if you're going to have to believe in a miracle anyway, why not believe in the miracle of, uh, of the resurrection? It's like, if you got to pick a miracle, just pick the one that makes the most sense. So we're going to be going through that in subsequent weeks. Um, but I hope this was helpful, Mama Bears. Um, I hope that you love Trisha as much as I do, and we're going to have her on here more, and she's going to be talking about what it's like to be a grandmama bear and how she's using, I mean, she's using a PhD to help her little grandbabies, so she can do that with her little grandbabies. We can all do that with our kids uh, and our grandkids, so, um, but yeah. Uh, Trisha, would you like to pray for our ladies as we as we head out? Yes. Lord Jesus, you are so precious and your glory has been manifest to us today in a way that we can actually see it even brighter shining through just the discussion of what you did on the cross and how you were raised from the dead and have had victory over sin and death so that we may also. And wow, what a difference it makes in how we live as well as our eternity. Now, I ask for every mama and every grandmama, every auntie out there that every one of us have the confidence and are willing to pursue the understanding of why we believe what we believe provides the best explanation of of how things are in this world. And Jesus, thank you that with the judgment on the heels of that justice comes mercy immediately for our salvation. For what you did on the cross changes everything. Mm -hmm. 
And thank you, Lord, that you didn't just die on the cross as a good example, Mm -hmm. but you had victory over that death Mm -hmm. when you came back to life. We praise you. We ask you to make our lives lives of worship and teach us and help us to teach others who you are. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. I love hearing your mom and your sister going, "Mm, yes, amen, in the background. Mom and sister sitting over here at the table. (laughs) Yep. We got a whole room full of mama bears. Well, mama bears, I hope you're excited about this uh, this series that's coming up, and uh, we will see you next time. Bye. This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. We hope you learned a little more about how to sift through ideas, accept the good, reject the bad, and now you can go teach your kids to do the same. Do you have any questions or maybe some ideas about future podcast episodes? Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we'll do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. We are all in this together.